We had a, uh, I guess, second cousin slash niece kind of person come to Georgia Southern nursing program. If any of y'all are out there, she succeeded, and so I'm sure you can too. Um, so she started dating a guy, you know, that last part of college, a good chunk of college, and so, you know, you graduate, you've been dating a while, and you start careers, and you kind of expect a certain question to come up. Maybe some of y'all know what that is. And it usually has diamonds attached to it. It didn't happen. And so, you know, a year goes by, and they're young pros, and they've got good jobs, like, you know, good jobs. And they're in the city together, and they're dating, and the holidays come around, and, you know, we all gather at, at, at a house up in the mountains, and, and uh, there's no question yet. And so, you know, I have to take it on myself to have a conversation with this young man, and you know, whether or not I did that graciously or not, dude, what are we waiting on? Because, you know, like three years in and a little bit of job under you, and you know the answer, right? Fish or cut bait, dude. You know if this is the one. What are you waiting on? And so we had that conversation. Holidays pass. There's no question. There's no ring. Another year passes, and no question or ring. And then last fall, no ring. Last fall, a wedding happens for another member of the family. And so everybody comes into Atlanta and we all get together and there's this beautiful ceremony and service. And after the service is over, you know I have to talk to a certain young man. And I have to ask him, what's going on? What are we waiting on? We're four or five years into the deal now. Let's go. And he's like, oh, we're talking about, we're talking, you know, well, a couple weeks ago on Facebook, because I'm old, you know this, we get a post, and a question got asked, and a ring got offered, and they are officially engaged, right? Praise the Lord. Here we go. Uh, so, you know, we're celebrating that. One of the great dangers to doing evangelism and mission the way we're challenging you to do it is that you're going to endlessly date the lost and never get to the question. Do you know Jesus Christ? Can I tell you the message of a Savior who lived and died and rose again for your sins? We'll be friends, we'll be friends, we'll be friends, we'll serve, we'll eat, we'll share, we'll be on sports teams year after year after year. We like each other. They know we're Christians. So, dude, what are you waiting on? Ask the question. Bring up Jesus. Share the message of Jesus. And so, yes, please, we are inviting you to a relational, driven evangelism strategy. We are inviting you to love the lost and serve the lost. But don't neglect the question. Don't neglect Jesus in all of that serving and in all of that relationship. So we'll be in Acts chapter 1 today uh, as we're kind of wrapping up the month emphasis, but by no means wrapping up the every member on mission, mission emphasis. You will hear this trickle out and drip out all year long through every venue that we can do it. Because we don't just want an evangelism jump start to fade out. We want to keep it before you and let the Holy Spirit massage it till it's part of your DNA. And so what if this is the, the vision and the dream that God has for Fletcher. Every single person in our ministry area
has a credible, authentic gospel presentation offered to them. 65,000 some odd people in, in our area that we minister to between the kind of the portal to Brooklyn and Statesboro areas. And then 25,000 people on the Georgia Southern campus. What if it was just something that burned in us to let happen? That every single one of those people got a direct, credible gospel witness from us. Or from another, you know, similar church, right? We're not alone in this. But what if that, what if that weighed on our heart till it happened? And then we did what it took. We did our part to see it happen. And so that's, that's the vision of every member on mission. And then we began with, like, that's not going to happen unless the life of Jesus builds up in you through abiding until it has to come out of you towards the lost world around you. It's not going to happen until the life of Jesus builds up within you to push you past the discomfort and fear of rejection and insecurity and selfishness that we all are kind of eaten up with. And then last week we talked about partners. We're not meant to do the mission of God alone. It's not a pattern that we go together that we serve together, that we invite together, that we share meals together, and that God has gifted the church with people. And I would just picture it like this. God's gifted the church with people that kind of wave different flags. And there's people throughout the, the church who are gifted and passionate to wave the flag of there are places the gospel isn't. Let's go. And there's people that, that wave the flag. They're God's people need to be returned and restored to God himself in faithfulness. Let's go. And then there's people, there's people you see every single day of your life, and they're lost, but they're nice. They're lost. Maybe they've been to church. They're lost, though. Let's go. And then there's people that wave the flag and say, we must grow in our discipleship, grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ, because the overflow of a healthy walk with Jesus, a healthy discipleship, is also mission. And so we did that. This week we're dealing with the last two P's of our our every member on mission um, strategy. Pursue and proclaim. Pursue is the idea of we have a mindset change that has to happen. That we embrace a missional mindset, meaning I go through my everyday life with the lens of what does God want to do through me into the lives of people around me. You're not where you are by accident. You're not in the class you're in by accident, even if you got up at six and all the sections were closed and you got dumped in the worst section imaginable. You're not there by accident. Even if you hate your job, you're not there by accident. And even if your boss drives you nuts, all the more reason he desperately needs Jesus Christ, you're not there by accident. And so pursuit is, I view the world around me and the places I am and the people that I'm around through the lens of God's mission, through me to them. It takes a mindset shift, pursuit. But we don't pursue without also proclaiming. We have a message, and it's not good neighbors. We have a message, and it's not come to church and hear my pastor, the praise team. Man, you got to hear them. We have a message. Jesus Christ crucified and risen, would you turn and believe? And so let's look at it. Acts chapter 1, verses 6 through 8. So when they had come together, and this is for the last time before Jesus has ascended, so when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? 
And he said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all of Judea and Samaria, even to the ends of the earth. Let's pray. So, Father, take our eyes off of us. Father, take away this yearning for comfort and convenience that so clings to us. Father, place a cross on us that we would deny ourselves and take up. And then we would follow Jesus into the lives of the people around us. And we'd follow Jesus into the community around us. And we'd follow Jesus to the very ends of the earth where he is going to rescue a people for himself and for your glory. And so, God, would you let nothing stand in the way of us stepping towards the lost. I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. So we pursue people in order to proclaim Christ. We pursue people in order to proclaim Christ. The first step we see in this, we pursue people with God's power, the Holy Spirit. We pursue people with God's power, the Holy Spirit. So uh, Amy and Sarah and I went to, to Publix the other day. Now, you know, we can't afford Publix unless there is BOGO. Y'all know it. It's a button on the app. So... Here's Chris's experience at Publix. There are four things we need that are BOGO, and it's on three aisles. So how quickly can Chris get in and out? It's like a qualifier for me. And so let's get in, let's get out. And I'm with Amy, and I'm with Sarah, and they have a different method. And their method, I've learned, is I want to go down every aisle and back up every aisle and then down every aisle. And, and so I probably sped them up a little bit. Patience. I'm, I'm sure I exhi- exhibited patience a little bit. So we probably sped up a little bit. When we leave, well, we had gotten some bread. Chris got it. It was a little closer to the sell-by date than we like, and we had missed an item. And that's about how it goes when I am on my mission. It wasn't on my list, or I didn't check the date. I got bread. We're supposed to get bread. So the question I have for you is this. Do you go through your everyday life like me at Publix? What's next? What's the next activity? Where do I have to get the kids? What's on the agenda? What what do I have to get done today? What meetings are next? Where are we going tonight, and who's going there, and who's going to get who there, and then what's tomorrow? And all the while, I miss people. I miss encounters. I miss seeing what's going on in the lives of people, even the people I care about. Or do you go through your life more like Amy and Sarah go through Publix? We're going to take our time so we don't miss anything important. We're going to see everything. We're going to see what's important. We're not going to miss the details and the conversations and the interactions that are part of this. Which way do you go through life? The invitation of pursuit is an invitation to slow down enough to see the people in your everyday life. To slow down enough to check in and listen and engage and pray for and know and walk through life with and share time with the people 
that God has put in your path every day. That's the invitation of pursuit. And so we take that invitation, will you walk it out? It is about, in the Spirit of God, walking through life with the lens of mission. And so let's look at it. As we jump into the text, the text opens up with what I would say is one of the primary challenges to mission being part of your life and part of my life. I'll just use a big word, egocentric. The biggest challenge to you being on mission and me being on mission is that I view all of my life through the lens of me. How does it affect me? What does it cost me? What will it benefit me? What, what about it? How does it affect me and how does it affect mine? How does it affect my time? How does it affect my comfort? How does it affect me? And as long as me is at the center of my everyday life, mission will not be at the center of my everyday life. Well, how am I feeling today? What do I have to do today? Me, me, me. And it doesn't just happen. It's me and mine. How does it affect us? I really like the group I'm a part of. How does it affect us? I I love the people that I get to worship with, and I love the people I get to hang out with at Sunday school, and I love my microgroup. Me, me, me is the great war against mission. Because how do I flip the lens of my life from me and how it affects me to you, to them, to those that don't know yet, those who haven't heard yet? I would say that's one of the main things that stopped the disciples as well. Look at the first line of the text. What's the problem? They've got Jesus, Jesus died, Jesus rose again, Jesus is walking around resurrected with them. And so what's the question? Do we get the kingdom now, Jesus? Do we get to rule now? Will you take over now? Do we get elevated now? It's a lens of, of their little part of the world. We've got Jesus, so we're good. We've got Jesus. Can we get the kingdom now? Can we get all the promises now? And so, that's a fair question, by the way. If you look at verse 4, the promises have been fulfilled. Well, what are the promises? You read the Old Testament, and there's a great militaristic uh, uh, movement coming. There's a great rescue and deliverance coming. He'll be a king, Messiah. So, is it now? Fair question. What else does it say? The Holy Spirit's going to come upon you. Well, if you read Joel 2, and I think it's 23 or so and following... The Holy Spirit coming is the great mark of the end of the age when the great and awesome day of the Lord's going to come. So it's a fair question. Just trying to make sure I get attention. Back there in the back. He belongs to me, so I have to. So I want to know, right, as I go through this, is it now? Because the Holy Spirit's coming. Is it now? And so I walk through life, right? And so they walk through life. Is it now? Do we get the kingdom now? Is the deliverance now? And how does Jesus answer the question? It is not for you to know times or seasons. That belongs to God. It's none of your business when this is going to happen. It doesn't belong to you. It isn't for you to figure out. It isn't for you to worry about when the sovereignty of God determines the end of the age will come. That belongs to God. Don't worry about it. It's not your business. So how does he answer? What's the question? Is it now? How does he answer the question? That's in God's sovereign purview. So what's the issue? What will you do in the meantime? What will you do with the time that you have been given on this earth? 
Do you see that? And so is it now? Don't worry about when it is. What do we do in the meantime? Go be my witnesses from here to the ends of the earth. And so you can spend your whole life waiting on what's next. You can spend your whole life, college, when's graduation, after graduation, when's job, what job, what career, what city, where am I going to go, who am I going to marry, kids, what about kids, as kids grow up, and next, and next. And you can spend your whole life that way. I'm going to wait again to see if they got the hint. Can we stop, gentlemen? Thank you. All right, so we spend our whole lives for what's next. We spend our whole lives waiting. We spend our whole lives for the next. The question isn't what's going to happen next. You may not get a next. The question of your life is this. What will you do with the life you have been given? What will you do with the time you have been given? That's the question that's being asked because it's not now. It make, it's going to come. We don't know when it's going to come. What's the question? What are you going to do in the interim? And so we see that, and then he walks through that process, and then he gets into the, to the text that we're really focused on. And the text we're focusing on is, you will receive power. You know one of the reasons I think that we don't like the idea of evangelism very much? is because it, what it does to me, it makes me uncomfortable, it makes me feel insecure, it makes me feel like I don't have all the answers, it makes me feel like inadequate. I can't do this, that's, that's, that's uncomfortable. People may reject me, people may, not, people may see through me, people may, not re- may, be, may realize that I'm not everything that I say I am, so I'll just stay back. Because I wanna operate my life with enough resources and enough smarts and enough money in the bank and enough uh, of my own intelligence and skill and degrees to where I don't need much of anything. I wanna live that way, don't you? And yet, that wars against being on mission in our lives. Because central to the mission of God is the power of God to be on mission with God. Do you see that? You will receive power from outside of yourself. Now, you will happens twice in the text. You will is in the future tense, meaning it's certain to happen. And so one of the commentators point out, that makes it the force of command. You certainly must receive power from outside of yourself. Second one, and you certainly must, when you receive that power, be the witness to Jesus Christ. Do you see that? You will receive power, and when you receive that power, you will witness. Where does the power come from? When the Holy Spirit has come upon you. We just went through Christmas, and, and what, what's the name for Jesus we go through at Christmas all the time? Emmanuel, God with us. What happens in Acts 1? The Holy Spirit, God in us. And do you know what the Holy Spirit does? Do you know what the Holy Spirit loves to do? Here's Jesus. You know what the Holy Spirit loves to do? Look at the glory of Jesus. If, if you're in a church that's like Holy Spirit all the time, Holy Spirit this, Holy Spirit that, Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, you've, they've missed the point of what the Holy Spirit loves to do. You know what the Holy Spirit loves to do? Say, don't look at me, Jesus. Go tell about Jesus. Go look at Jesus. John, when he's introducing, or Jesus in the upper room, and John, he's introducing, he's like, the Holy Spirit will come on you, and he'll teach you all the truths that I couldn't get to. And he'll point to my glory. 
when we are endowed with the Spirit of God, God in us, we declare Jesus, God with us. There's this intimate connection between the Spirit and the declaration of the message of Jesus. The Holy Spirit is the power that endows us to be on mission. It's not about our flesh. It's not about our resources. It's not about our ability. It's not about our comfort. It's not about any of that. The Holy Spirit in us pushes us out of comfort. The Holy Spirit within us pushes us to point to Jesus. That's what he's about. That's what he's about in us. And so, is it now? None of your business. That's God's sovereign providence. What will you do with your now, though? What will you do with your life? What will you do with the time that you've been given today? Second thing, we pursue people with God's message in word and deed. We pursue people with God's message in word and deed. His name is Jesus. And so if I were to offer you, look, I have got this pill, and if you take this pill, you can have peace with none of the bad side effects of like Xanax or whatever else, or Valium. I've got a pill, and if you take this pill, you'll have such a wonderful sense of belonging and acceptance. It's like, sign me up for that. If you take this pill, then that, that nagging guilt that eats at you, gone. Sign me up. And then here's the greatest benefit of the pill overall. If you take this pill, you don't have to go to that dirty, hot, fiery place called hell. But you get a good trip to heaven. Sign me up. And with the best of intentions, as churches, we have taken real guilt, because we're sinners, out of the equation. And with the best of intentions, we have taken this real thing called sin that you are born in, eaten up with, and exercise every day of your life out of the equation. And we have, with the best of intentions, taken blood and wrath out of the equation. But you know what we've done in the process? We've taken the gospel out of the equation. We've taken the ability for you to be forgiven of your sins and restored into a relationship with God because of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus out of the equation in the process. And I don't think anybody's doing it, most people are doing it maliciously. They're not trying to trick, they want, they want people to hear the best they know how to hear. But when you take the cross out of the equation and the bloody, horrific cross out of the equation, you're gonna, you, you take the gospel out of the equation as well. Do you know what the greatest gift of the gospel is? You get God. You get Jesus it's wonderful. Like, I get forgiven. That pales. I get Jesus. Oh, but I get the, the freedom from guilt and shame. Great. But you get Jesus. Oh, but I get to go to heaven. Great. You know what's great about heaven? Jesus. The goal of the gospel is you get God, and the greatest gift on this earth is that you get God in Christ. And that's the most amazing thing. All the rest are wonderful side effects, but they're not the thing. They're not what make the gospel great. The fact that you get God, who you are estranged from, rejected, and rebelled against, is the greatest gift of the gospel. And if you view some gift from that as the main thing, then you have missed the gospel in the process. And so what is the message? Look at the next point. You will be 
my witnesses. So you special followers, you've seen my sinless life. You've lived it beside me. You have witnessed my death on a cross, and you have seen me now, the resurrected Lord. Go bear witness to that. What's the message? My, me, Jesus is the message. And then there will be people, generation after generation, who have seen the life of Jesus and the death of Jesus and the resurrection of Jesus in the word and declared by other people. They've seen it, and then they will be witnesses to it. So what is our message? Let me read from you Luke's gospel, because that's the companion to this. His great commission. And he said to them, thus it is written, the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. You're witnesses of this. Sound familiar? What's the message? What's the message? Jesus suffered for our sins. What's the message? He rose again from the dead. What's the message? Repent and believe. Face to face with your sin, with all of its horror, Because you know it's there. You're not escaping it with all your techniques and tools and therapies. Like it's not going away until it goes away in the person of Jesus. And you face that and you turn. You repent. You you move your life from that to faith in Jesus Christ, the great forgiving and saving one who will welcome you into the presence of the Father adopted as his child. That's the message. What is the message? Well, if you've been reading through Acts, and I hope you have been reading through Acts with us, there's like four or five sermons And here's a sample from chapter 2, right, after Pentecost. And they're declaring the wonderful works of God. And and Peter says, men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested with signs and wonders that God did through him in your midst. You know this. This Jesus was delivered by the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. You crucified him. We're not holding back on the sin part. You crucified and you killed him. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death. And they're cut to the heart. What do we do? Belief. Repent and believe. What is the message? The lame man. It's not that we of our own power healed him. It's that faith in the name of Jesus healed him. By the way, you killed him. And God raised him up. Repent and believe. I was just reading, I think it was this week in in our reading plan, Paul at the Areopagus. And he goes all the way back to make this connection with him. Look, you guys are super religious. In fact, I found an idol in your city to an unknown God. And let me tell you about him. And he goes through God as creator and God has ordained in his providence nations and their boundaries and their timing. And for some way, God has orchestrated the nations of boundary and timing in such a way that there is some amount of ability for God to be pursued and known through that providence of nations. But then he gets real. God's been patient with you for a long time. But now he calls you to repent because Jesus has come and Jesus has died and Jesus is resurrected. And that shuts down the assembly. Do you know how they respond? There's three ways they respond. I think this will be helpful to you. Some of them mocked Paul. Like, what is this idiot talking about? If you go on mission this year, There is a portion of people, I don't think it's most, but there's a portion of people you're going to run into that reject you for it. And there's no way around it. There's no sugarcoating that. That happens. There will be people that mock or think you're an idiot for it. It's part of the deal of mission. 
But then there was another group, and the other group said, you know what, we'll hear you about this again. And so how do we judge these people? They hear the message, but they remain open to us at the end of it. And that's the goal. We want to keep an ongoing conversation. Or they hear the message, and they're open. They don't believe it, but they're open to hear it again. And, and that's what we're looking for until this last group comes. Some believed, and he lists out who believed. That's, that's what happens. Let me ask you this. How many people that you love, having their eternity completely changed, and their life ripple out to a life that glorifies God versus a life consumed with self, would it take for you to face some rejection, for you to make some sacrifices, for you to be willing to lose a relationship? How many eternities changed would be worth it? One. One. What's the message? 1 Corinthians 15. What's the message? I delivered this to you of first importance. Christ died for our sins. And he was buried. And on the third day, he rose again. What's our message? Ephesians chapter 2. You were born dead. And you lived your whole life following the flow of the world around you. What direction did the world around you flow in? What direction did the friends around you flow in? What direction did the culture you lived in flow in? You lived according to the course of the world around you. And then you desired some things in your flesh. And you desired some things with your mind. And as many of those as you could make happen, you made happen. That's you. That's good religious you. That's good moral, wonderful neighbor you. And everybody you meet out there. And by nature, we're children of wrath, just like the rest. But God... But God, who is rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, made us alive with Christ. By grace you have been saved. What is the message? Jesus who lived, Jesus who died for our sins, Jesus who rose again from the dead, who confronts us with our sin to invite us to be sinless in him. He who knew no sin, the sinless one, became sin for you that you might have the righteousness of God in him. What is the message? You will be my witnesses. You will be my witnesses in this. Third step. We, all per- we pursue all people in all places from here to the ends of the earth. We pursue all people in all places from here to the ends of the earth. The gospel refuses you to be okay with you and Jesus. The gospel refuses for you to be okay with you and a handful of believing friends or a church of believing friends. The gospel refuses for you to be okay with, well, people like us get a lot of access to the gospel. The gospel refuses to let us be okay with our city or town knowing the gospel. The gospel is on a march with Jesus until there is no place left that has not heard a credible witness and had access to the name of Jesus to believe. Look at how he closes it. You're going to be my witnesses in the power of the Holy Spirit. Where? Jerusalem. So if we were to break down Jerusalem, Jerusalem is the epicenter of Judaism Uh, One commentator put it this way, the whole life of Jesus led to Jerusalem. The whole life of the church flows from Jerusalem. 
And so the church began, its epicenter was in Jerusalem. It was people right next door with the most amount of religious commitment, with the most amount of cultural identification, with the most amount of, of, of kind of purity of doctrine of Judaism, right there next door. And so there is a literal of Jerusalem, and that's where it started. So we're translating that when I say this. What is our Jerusalem? And as I was thinking through that, because this is something we've been thinking through a lot uh, for this year, you know where I think our Jerusalem is? In this room right now. That there are people, according to Jesus' own words, that are sitting in this room that have a lot of religion, who maybe members, maybe not, identified with the church, go to church, and yet do not have a relationship with Jesus Christ all along the way. It's right here. It's the most amount of religious and cultural overlap and identification. It's people that are connected to us through our ministries and activities. It's people that are, 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 are attending our Christmas services and candlelight services. It's like the, the, the Jerusalem that we have are people that are right on our doorstep, right next door to us, right hearing they, that are part of the church, but they're not part of the church. They don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ. From, from Jerusalem to all of Judea. And so this is where the same culture, the same background and values, but just gets a little bit broader. Right? And so Judea would be the, the most culturally Jewish section of Israel. It's, it's the place, the southern kingdom, when the kingdoms divided, had the most uh, identification. They stayed the purest through the process with, with their religious identification. And so, again, there is a literal Judea. But what would our Judea be? And this, again, is something we've talked about a lot. Our Judea, I would say, is the city of Statesboro, Portal, Brooklyn, that shares a lot of religious identification with us, a lot of the values and good neighbors and country and, and, and patriotism and, and, and a lot of the values, and none of that's negative, right? A lot of the values we have And so they have common culture, common religion, probably would say they believe a lot of the same things. But but the book that we're kind of using as a background for this study is they are unsaved Christians. They're deeply identified with church, maybe because they were a member of one and don't go, maybe because they go occasionally, maybe because their parents or grandparents went or, or pastored in one. But they believe the stuff and they They're good people, and they're moral people, and there's a lot of cultural overlap, and they've believed everything, but Jesus is Christ alone for salvation. And so the average person in your mission field and my mission field is an unsaved Christian. They've been exposed enough to Christianity to think they're one, but they've not been exposed to Christ enough to become one. That's our Judea. What about Samaria? So Samaria is not geographically much further away. But they are worlds away in culture. And so the Samaritans are those who, um, in the northern tribe, Assyria had come in, and one of their strategies to stop rebellion was, we're going to take a bunch of people out of a country, and then we're going to import a bunch of foreign people into that section of the country, because if they don't have a common cultural and national identity, they won't rise up to fight the empire. There's nothing to rally around. There's no flag that's common to them anymore. And so they had created their own religion. They were partially Jewish and partially Gentile, a lot of intermingling there. 
And, and so they were, they were neighbors with a different culture and a different re- a, a version of, but a different religion. So what place in, in Statesboro is there a part of our circles and we run into to people in life, but there's clear dividing lines of culture and there's clear dividing lines of belief and common worship. How does the gospel get there? How does the gospel get there? And then that's not the last expansion, right? There's one more expansion, the ends of the earth. The ends of the earth aren't close, and the ends of the earth are not common in culture, and the ends of the earth have no overlap of geography, culture, or religion. It's radically different. And if you've been anywhere in the world, there is a multitude of cultures and languages and religious expressions that, that blow the mind how widespread and diverse they are. And how do we get to there? If the Holy Spirit is in us pushing out, you must be my witness, then he is pushing out, you must be my witness until you get as far as redemption is meant to go, until you get to no place less, until you get to people from every tribe, tongue, nation, and language. You're not done, and you can't stop. We pursue, and we proclaim, in the power of the Holy Spirit, the message of Jesus, the center of the glory of God and the face of Christ and the cross of Christ and the resurrection of Christ, And we do it with the people around every day. That's what we're starting with. We do it with the people that are part of some of the intermingling circles we're with, but there is such a segmentation that there's not overlap after that. We're on mission, and we do it until there is no place left on earth where Jesus has not been named. We pursue and we proclaim until there's no place left in Statesboro. Every single person in Statesboro gets an authentic, credible witness to Jesus until there's no place left in the world. Every tribe, tongue, nation, and language has an authentic, credible encounter with Jesus. And I want to encourage you as a church, when it comes to the ends of the earth, this church is radically generous. We just came out of a massive offering where you sacrificed to be part of that. This church, we have sent multiple units to the far places of the earth and you support them and you love them and you pray for them and you're doing an awesome job at that. There are three more people in the pipeline to be sent out, or three more units to be sent out to the nations. You're hearing the call to go. And so will we go where we are while they go there? Will we go across the barriers here while they go there? A few practical things. Here we go. First, how can you practically cultivate a missional lens in everyday life? How can you practically cultivate mission, a missional lens in everyday life? Let me start where we started all this. Pray. If you're not making time to pray, you won't walk through your day with the eyes of Jesus on. Pray. And maybe on top of that, like get to work early and pray. Get to class early and pray. As you go through your neighborhood, walk in your dog, pray. Right? The heart of Jesus is cult- for people is cultivated when we pray and see people. Right? So how can you do that? Maybe you can slow down a little bit and ask some questions of the people around you. You can take time to listen and hear and remember the details of their life. How can you cultivate? 
Second, what are some common ways we dilute the message of Jesus? And what is the message of Jesus? With the best of intentions, we can make Jesus therapeutic and self-help oriented. With the best of intentions, we can make Jesus all about you instead of making you all about Jesus. We can make Christianity all about the rules of do's and don'ts, and that dilutes the message of Jesus. How do we do that? It'd be a great discussion to have, the ways you see it play out around you. And you know what another great discussion would have? What is the message of Jesus? What's the gospel? Could you share that? Could you have a conversation about the core components of the gospel of Jesus Christ? Now, in Sunday school, you've been challenged with this. On the mission table, there's, this, there's a QR code you can scan, and it can give you the bridge um, presentation or the three circles presentation. Just to have some kind of way that you can share the gospel that, that you have in your heart when the occasion arises. But can you have a conversation right now, what are the key elements of the gospel? That's something I want to encourage you to have and have with your microgroup. And then lastly, how have you applied our formula 365, pray every day for a lost person by name or two or three or four? 52, you find tangible, practical ways to serve every week of your life. Open back up your bulletin that you've stuffed in the thing in front of you, and you're going to leave it there for us to clean up. And we love to do it, by the way. No problems with that whatsoever. But open it back up. There's a blue, I think it's blue, like bookmark-sized thing in there. That gives you a starting place to just think through, here's some things I could do at my workplace. Here's some things I could do in my neighborhood. Here's some stuff I could do in the everyday things of life to pursue better. Right? And, and so that's going to give you some ideas for those 52 service opportunities that you're going to take. And then 12, once a month, whether it's out at lunch or at dinner, at your home, wherever, you're going to share a meal with lost people and maybe even another family or two from, from your believing community. What steps have you taken with that? Have you identified the person? Now, I'm going to speak a little stern to you for a second. I love you enough to do it. If you haven't identified the lost person yet, what are you waiting on? You have heard serve and share with two for five years. What are you waiting on? And now, nice, Chris. Hey, have you identified somebody that you want to reach out to? You want to pray for? You want to serve? Let's do this, right? And so identify them. What else? Have you begun to plot out? Well, here's something I can try this week. Here's something I'm going to I'm just give it a shot. See what happens. Honey, when are we free over the next, next month to, like, have people over? Or, or what makes the most sense at work? Maybe it's lunch. You know, who and when could I get lunch that would make sense? But begin mapping that stuff out because you're building up to a moment to not just pursue but proclaim to that one the good news that Jesus died and rose again for their sins, for them to be welcomed back to the Father, for them to live for the glory of God and not the glory of self, which is the ultimate joy for all of eternity. So pursue, cultivate missional eyes, proclaim, we have a message. Do not wait to pop the question until it's too late. Let's pray. So, Father, in Jesus' name, I pray that you would have been cultivating a burden and a weight on our hearts for this mission that you've called us to. 
I pray that this month there would have been some affection stirred for Jesus and heart stirred for some lost people around us. I pray that as, as here, and you would be pleased to answer and you'd start with us and you'd move in us. Father, I, I pray that as this marriage conference is coming up, Lord, it's an opportunity for Jesus to radically reform and help marriages. It's an opportunity for every marriage to look a little more like Jesus in the church. It's an opportunity for marriages to begin to be an evangelistic display of how good you are. And that's not going to happen because of the speaker, and it's not going to happen because of the notes. It's going to happen because you move through those things into our lives. So, Father, do it. Reclaim and restore and do wondrous things for the glory of your name. And, Father, we're not blind or ignorant to the fact that there are people sitting here, and they're hearing and they're listening, and yet they have never bowed their hearts to Jesus Christ. They've never repented and believed Jesus is not theirs yet. Oh, God, by your spirit, would you awaken them? Would you open their heart like you opened Lydia's heart in Acts? And would they believe? Would they believe? I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. So as we come to our time of invitation, the mission of God starts right here. We gather in the name of Jesus. We declare the message of Jesus because we do not want one soul to ever visit here that doesn't have an opportunity to hear and believe in Jesus. Is that you? Is the Holy Spirit pursuing you? Is he showing you sin, but much more than sin, showing you Christ who died for that sin? We'd love to pray with you. As you come forward, you can fill out the white sheet in your bulletin. We would love to have that conversation with you. We would love to. But maybe you realize as you're thinking about yourself, you're like, oh, there's far too much me in my life. There's far too much me-centered and me-focused and me-affecting. I can't get out of me to see them. And that's something you want to confess. You can confess it where you are. You want to confess it here. Or maybe it's a simple commitment today. I'm going to go through this week. I'm going to go through this day with the eyes of Jesus and the mission of Jesus in my eyes. You want to make that commitment. You want to make that commitment to starting that process of prayer and serving and sharing meals because you want to proclaim. We're going to stand together and sing. You respond how the Lord is leading you.
Oh, Father, our sins are so many, and we've tasted your mercy. Would you send us to a people who have not tasted mercy, but only their guilt and only their sin and only their self? Would you send us to people to offer them to taste and see that you are good and your salvation is gracious? We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. So I want to introduce you as we're leaving to Rebecca and Cassidy and Kayla. They are coming to place.